Lachlan. It's all love, She's hot. Joe. It's just that, uh, that that's true love. Come on, that's stunning. She just finds him really attractive and charming. Maybe she does. Maybe she just loves the fact that he's rich as fuck. Come on, bro. She's hot as fuck. Look yeah. at that. Yeah. What do you think Ooh. of him? Um, I don't know much about him other than the fact that he runs Fox News. How do you know? It's really remarkable that this one gentleman from another country has such an incredible influence mm. on conservatives in America. I mean, it's not just Fox News. He, you know, he owns the Wall Street Journal. He owns mm-hmm. 20th Century Fox, the, right. the the movie studio. He owns Fox, the television station. Yeah. He owns like I used to be employed by him at one point in time. Oh right, yeah, yeah. I was on Fox. I was on a show called Hardball. Right, it's a right. Baseball show. <laughs> cool. Yeah, man. The things you've done, Joe Rogan. I've done a lot of things. It's, it's been really a, strange. It's been, it's been a big roller coaster. It's hard for uh, me to believe. Even I look what, at all the things you've done. Yeah, you I look at it. And I go, this is. Bizarre. I know it's funny, isn't Strange. it? When well, when you have a, I mean, when you're a creative person and you're trying to construct a creative life. Uh, now I sound like I'm kind of talking to the young people out there, but maybe I am a little bit. Like one of the exciting things is you do find yourself going in all these weird, crazy directions that you never would have expected, and that's part of the kind of beautiful tap dance of doing your own thing and of doing, you know, of creating a life that isn't just getting a job. Like my grandfather, he became he learned to make shoes when he was like 15 during the depression in New Zealand. And he, his buddy, you know, had a dad who worked at a shoe factory. So they trained him like left school in 10th grade, went to the shoe factory at the age of 16, walked out of that shoe factory at the age of 65. And that was his job. Wow. You know, and that's what you did. Yeah. I'm going to make shoes. Why? I don't know. It was a job. When are you going to make shoes until, uh, until I die? How about until I die? That's the great thing about this American attitude of just go for it, go do something. Mm. You could do whatever you want. You want to write a novel? You should write a novel. Yeah. What do you want to do? Run marathons? Put on those shoes, bro. Yep. Let's go. Yep. Like that attitude, it really does foster a lot of uh, innovation and it really makes people believe that the American dream is alive and well. Like the yeah. American dream has always been to just go out and carve your own path. I mean, literally, it's what this country is supposedly founded. That's right. And it comes back to what you were saying earlier about, like, inequality and the elites that sort of make that harder for people. Like, I do worry that a lot of the craziness that we've seen over the past couple of years that I think is partly due to the pandemic in terms of, like, riots and what's been going on in Portland and the Mm -hmm. extreme sort of clashes between alt-right and, like, Black Lives Matter and, like, the, the, the intensity of the of the culture wars is partly because we're all trapped inside spending too much time on Twitter. For sure, for sure. And partly because we haven't really gotten on top of, like, inequality. Like, people feel like they can't get ahead. I mean, a lot of people feel like they can't get ahead. A lot of people feel like they're stuck in one place. And, like, I just need a leg up to be able to achieve that American dream. I don't feel like anyone's in my corner helping me do so. The true inequality in America is the inner cities. If you look at the disparity between the amount of violence and crime and drug use and gang violence that's in, whether it's south side of Chicago or Baltimore or Detroit or Compton, pick a spot where it's historically been riddled with crime and drug use and, and just sadness and despair. They don't fix those spots. They'll fucking spend billions of dollars to go to Afghanistan and fix this or Iraq and fix that. These Halliburton no-bid contracts that they got when they blew up Iraq. Mm. Like, imagine if Halliburton got 
contracts, no mm. bid contracts to fix Baltimore. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's yeah, not it a bad happened. idea. It's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea because it could be profitable. I mean, maybe that's the way to fix these inner cities. Like, what if, what if the government got together with some sort of a large corporation like that and said, there's a contract to be had to fix inner cities the same way they have these no bid contracts to fix these overseas spots we mm. drop bombs on mm. like we've kind of dropped economic bombs on these yep. places like let's let's if you want to make america great again air quotes like what's the best way to make america great well let's have less losers what's the best way to have less losers let's give people a better ground floor mm. give people mm. a better place they're starting from cuz clearly people are starting from different places yeah the benefit of starting from a shitty spot is you develop tenacity and grit and drive. But th that's not everybody. Mm. That's a small percentage of fish make it up that salmon ladder, yeah. and then they become successful. And you got to have a good ladder. you got to have a good salmon yes. ladder. Like you, you can be the lucky. best salmon in the world, but without a, without a good salmon ladder, you're not making your way up it. And you got to not get jacked by a bear along the way. That's, that's also yeah. true. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the bear in this analogy? I'm not sure. Crime. Uh, yeah. Crime. Sure. Violence. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Crime and violence and also i mean imagine the, the peer pressure drugs. the war on drugs yeah that too right mm. because the war on drugs because these drugs are illegal that has propped up organized crime exactly and it There's makes so, it really attractive right. to become a dealer yeah, you know, because there's nothing else to do. You well, mean listen, you can make a lot of money. You can make zero money because there's no fucking jobs, mm. or you can make millions selling drugs. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, it's there's a there's a way that that can be remedied. There's a way where the impact of these crime ridden, impoverished neighborhoods can be mitigated, and we've literally done nothing. Yeah, and to the publicly address that. It's so frustrating because the like the let's take this plan of yours to Halliburtonize the redevelopment of inner cities. And if you tried to propose that, it wouldn't just. I mean, both sides would object. Like the right would object because the right would be like, why are we spending all this money on these people in, in the first place? Uh, you know, they should be able to swim their way up the salmon, salmon ladder without mm. help. And then the left would have a whole bunch of like vested interests and they'd be like, well, we know the way of doing things here. Like we've been working for many years in these uh, you know, communities of need. And like, it's very important to allow the people who choose to be homeless to, con oh, they're not homeless anymore. They're like, you know, with whatever the euphemism is, like it's very important for them to allow themselves to be self-expressed in the way that they want to be self-expressed. I have an idea to get people on board well, we have a war on poverty and this is the way you have a war on poverty you draft white people from the suburbs <laughs> to have to move to these neighborhoods yeah imagine yeah and then once they they're they're in you know like fucking baltimore the south side of chicago they're mm. like this place is fucked yeah. this needs to be fixed immediately <laughs> a lot of people don't even know i mean a lot no. of and it is bad it's it's uniquely bad here in the states i think americans are, are unaware and I was unaware when I lived here. I went to New Orleans a few years after Katrina. Uh, I had a buddy who was living down there. And I, I was like, you know, I kind of want to go to the parts that were were badly hit and that haven't been redeveloped yet. He was like, you don't want to. You don't want to go there. And I was like, no, I mean, I got my rental car. I got my like, doo, 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 doo. I'm Australian. Come on. Hey, beep, beep. let's go and see what the uh, <laughs> what the poor people are up to, shall we? And uh, he's like, uh, so I, I went on a drive by myself and like, the you're talking about Thailand, people being happy. You know, you go to India, like they have nothing, but they all are sort of the same level of nothing. So they can be happy, and they can ha they can like still have community, and they can have a sense of a functioning society even without very much. Here, no functioning society, no nothing. I mean, just empty houses, boarded up, like a dude running from one house to another when he hears the 
the car, my car coming down the street, no cars, a few cars with like the tires pulled off and like, you know, up on, on bricks, uh, you know, just smashed windows everywhere. Like it was like, it was like a post-apocalyptic nightmare, but like still people like, sh- like shadows in the windows and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I pulled the, I, like I drove through, pulled out and I, I literally pulled the car over to the side of the road and I burst into tears. Wow. And I'm not the kind of person who bursts into tears very easily, but like I'm even just feeling like now, I was like, how can we as like people who have the resources that we've got be cool with that? Right. Like there has to be a way to like do something for the people who are living there that is better than what they've got right now. How on earth, like what total, what a complete indictment of whatever system we've got that Zuckerberg's out there with his little, you know, figuring out how to turn Axie Infinity into Facebook coins that we're all going to spend in the metaverse at the same time as that exists. Yeah. It's shocking. It's terrifying. And it's also like, unrecognized right it's not something that's discussed on a daily basis no. even though it's one of the worst parts of america the worst aspects of america are the poorest neighborhoods yeah and yet th- we don't look at that as being a problem like we-, we look at infrastructure we look at pollution we look at all these different issues climate what do we have cl- got to fix the climate mm. what about fix these fucking neighborhoods mm. man like well yeah exactly and then whatever chaos comes as a result of weather weather systems being disrupted due to climate change is only going to hit those kinds of neighborhoods the worst anyway so if you do Katrina, care about right? that then care about all of it and the neighborhoods um if you stopped and thought about the the just the sheer amount of like despair that comes out of these places and the crime and the violence and all that stuff like if you, if people saw it if they they really knew about it and they looked at it as like a problem that we have in America in in terms of like uh like you know we have a pollution problem we have this problem we have this problem too like this this should be mm. Step one. Well, that's where we get to your draft idea. You just yeah, draft, draft Nancy, Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi's grandchildren <laughs> to go and live there and then see how long if it takes This to is what you do. If you're born rich, if you're born rich, you have to spend at least 20 years in, or no, how many years? That's, that's A year? Like rude. it's the Peace Corps or something, right? You go hey, for how a... much are you going to fix in a year? You have to do a term because hmm. if you're a year, you'll okay. stay inside and order Uber Eats. and yeah, even <laughs> buy a No Uber Eats guys going yeah. down the street. I was driving we down. We've got to fix why. it. So if you got to fix it, you'd have to get people to do two years. Obviously, I'm joking. Oh, Joanne, your family yeah, live there. The, yeah, exactly. I don't really mean that, but no. I'm saying, you know. Opening your eyes to it. Yeah. Um, I had dinner uh, with, uh, do you know Tim Urban? Do you know the Wait But Why blog? Have you heard of this? Uh, no. He's a buddy of mine in New what York. Did, what, did you say, what does it say? The, the white... blog is called Wait But Why. You can Wait call it up, why. Jamie. Oh, you might that. recognize it. I've heard of that. He's such an interesting guy. I had him on my podcast and, and I got- um, What does he do? He's a blogger and like uh, oh. he basically takes like big, huge ideas like the sort of stuff that we're talking about mm-hmm. and puts them into like stick figure cartoons and like writes little blogs uh, about them to like super, 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 almost hilariously oversimplify them. Oh. And <clears throat> he was talking about, I mean, we were talking about everything, but one <clears throat> one thing that came up was uh, was his, his, he's been talking to all these researchers about extraterrestrial intelligence and why we haven't found evidence of uh, alien life yet mm. and he he plots it all out like in a very very simplistic <laughs> simplistic way where he's like uh what is that what do you got coffee, what coffee you, you got there yeah, i'll have some coffee please yeah, thank you uh is this like extra special no it's just black rifle coffee okay, cheers sir cheers thanks for having Good me to great see to see you again, again. Man.
Sorry you had to move to that prison colony. We could do this more often. Yeah, I know. I'll be back. I'll be back more often now unless the next... Uh, unless another fucking variant breaks out. Hopefully they're all going to be milder. Australians are done with uh, with lockdowns and things. I, I hope think. so. I think so. Texans are done with it a long time ago. But I'm hoping that, you know, obviously things vary. But according to epidemiologists, most things that follow along these lines that we're seeing in this pandemic, this is actually Omicron's a normal progression. Yeah, and good. And they become more contagious but less virulent. Less deadly. Yeah. yeah. Which is great. Um, so... Uh, the uh, the theory that he, that I was just talking to him about that got, that uh, we mentioned you about was uh, like whether or not there's a the, so why isn't there any evidence of right. alien civilizations right so the one explanation is that there's like a great filter which at some at whenever civilizations get sophisticated enough to be able to reach out and communicate with other civilizations there's they either blow themselves up. And like you know, there's no opportunity to to actually evolve beyond a certain point because you get too clever for your own good, and you blow yourself up with nukes, or you destroy the planet, or something like that. Or maybe <clears throat> the great filter is behind us, and there's a whole ton of life out there in the in the solar system, in the galaxy, in the universe, but uh, none of it actually gets to be conscious and self-aware and build civilizations because there's some impediment to becoming as sophisticated as our brains are that we don't even know about that we've already overcome like some mm. point of point in human evolution and the third point was like maybe there are lots of civilizations out there but there's one super predator civilization that as soon as another civilization gets too big for its boots just comes and extinguishes all of the rival civilizations and the ones that aren't, haven't been extinguished have to stay quiet almost like there's a like you're in a you're in the dark woods and you know that there's a monster out there, so you don't light a fire because you don't want the monster to know where you are. So nobody's broadcasting the fact that alien civilizations actually do exist. They're just staying quiet because they don't want to communicate to the predator civilization that that they actually exist and get wiped out. I would give you another scenario. What if the idea of travel through space and visiting other planets, other physical planets, is archaic? And that what they do develop is some sort of hyper metaverse and that everything becomes more internal with these quasi dimensions, with these new ways of achieving stimulation and also like a symbiotic relationship with electronics where people stop being biological and they start being some sort of a mm. weird cyborg type creature. I mean, this is like the the archetypal alien, the big head, this little guy right here, right? Yes. Yeah. The, the big yeah. heads yeah. and the little yeah. bodies. You know, one of the things that people believe is that that's what human beings are destined to probably look like in the future. If you think about what we used to be, if we used to be these these like beastly Big muscular primates yeah. and we have slowly but surely become these doughy things with <laughs> big brains yeah. and uh, and massive use of electronics and technology and and tools and and it's changed our need for physical strength and tooth fang and claw right that that's where we're going, that we're going to be that. And then the other thought is that those things, one of the reasons why we see those things is like they're not biological. That's why they can survive the radiation of deep space. That's why they can whatever G-force their fucking ships have. Like they're not subject to all right. the biological limitations that we have. They're like holographic representations yeah. or something or 
Oh, yeah. well, I thought or, you were going to say they're us from the future, if that's what we that's evolved into. Possible too. Yeah. I, but I think those scenarios of like, if you look at where we're going, I mean, clearly there's some sort of a push for us to travel to other planets and interstellar exploration. Surely there's some. I mean, Elon's at the forefront of that. Yeah. But really, the big push of this country, of this, of this um, uh, population of human beings, though, is technological innovation yeah like if you looked at us objectively from afar if you were some sort of a being and you didn't understand what we were what's going on over there oh there's this one dominant species that makes things Mm, we're mm. the only ones that make things there's a few examples of like bees that make beehives and there's leaf cutter ants in my property that are making some weird little structure but the real makers of things is the humans. Yeah. And if you look, well, what is their goal? Well, their goal is to make the best shit possible constantly every year. And they even have like a built-in problem with uh, materialism. Like what is materialism? Well, it's a silly notion. You're going to live this empty life where you're just chasing objects. But what are you doing with this instinct of materialism? You're fueling innovation. Yes. You're fueling because you're constantly working to try to earn the money so you can get these new things, and these new things are always superior to the old things, and, and they keep getting better and better. And the acceleration of that superior uh, like arc is exponential. Like, yes. I mean, if you look at the, this is another point that Tim. Uh, I mean, I'm just giving Tim a shout out to give him credit for the shout stuff that out I've to been <clears throat> that I've been noodling on for the past, uh, you know, yesterday and today on private a lot of time, just sitting on a plane looking out the window, going. Man, where are all the aliens? And uh, mm. so the other thing he's, he talks about is like if the history of human civilization was an 800-page book, so say 160,000 years that we've been like Homo sapiens sapiens with like the kinds of civilizations that, uh, well, even pre, pre-civilizations, right, nomadic peoples and so on, then each page of that book is, what, 250 years, I think I'm doing that, that maths right, or 200 years, 200 times 800, yeah, 160,000. Uh, like... If you can open that book to almost any page and the same shit's going on. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like all the way up War. until the – like, yeah, basically people people are wandering around yeah. with pretty primitive tools. A few of them sort of figure out how to use fire. Mm-hmm. A few of them figure out like how to use metals and stuff like that. Yeah. A few of them figure out how to ride horses and domesticate animals. But it's basically the same shit for like 790 pages of the 800-page book of the civilization – of you know, of, hum- of our species. And then just towards the end – it's like the page before the very end, like the United States gets settled, Australia gets settled, the Industrial Revolution happens. Uh, and then like on the final page, if each page is 250 years of an 800-page book, you know, it's the last half of the page. Nuclear weapons, uh, you know, going into space, landing on the moon, the evolution of the internet, vehicles, cars, climate change, like all of this. And it's like the final few, lo- like Facebook and all this shit, Axie Infinity, yeah. your little coins and your VR and your orgasmatron and everything is like the final two lines of an 800-page book. So, yeah. you know, sometimes there's a t- sometimes people will say to me, oh, you know, people always think that they're living through amazing times, Josh. You know, you think you're living through an incredible time, but I'm sure people were saying that in like the 1820s. I'm sure everyone was like, oh my God, things are changing so fast. And I'm like, no, I'm going to call bullshit on that. Yeah. If an alien who knew nothing about anything <laughs> took that 800-page book, they'd be like, uh, page, 100, page 233 is roughly the same as page 700, you know, 22. Yeah. But they'd get to the end and they'd be like, holy shit, what's going to happen next? Like, yeah. I want to read the sequel to this book. I want to yeah. read what's 801. <laughs> Well, that's when they would keep an eye on us. You know, uh, when they dropped Fat Man and Little Boy on uh, Japan, Mm. that's when UFO sightings started happening all over the globe. There's a giant uptick 
in UFO sightings. Was it Kenneth Arnold was one of the first, I believe? He He's the guy who spotted, I think it's Kenneth Arnold, was the, the guy that spotted the uh, flying saucers. He was the first one to right. discuss them as as saucer-shaped disks. But they started seeing them all over the place. Like there was um, encounters in Washington, D.C., and there was encounters over nuclear bases and where they said that they had shut codes down and... I don't know if there was alien life, and if there is alien life out there that's aware of us. I don't know if they would intervene because we don't really do much when we find chimps. You know, the, no, the sure. scientific community. Ants. Yeah, well, the intelligent scientific community doesn't try to interfere with their life and give them guns and you know, like this is how you start a fire. Right, but chimps have noticed that we exist. Yes. So, like, even if they don't come, like, I, I'm, I'm not talking about, like, why haven't aliens come and visited us, like, in Independence Day. I just yeah. mean, like, when we train our telescopes on the sky, why isn't there any evidence of, like, little flickering radio waves coming from somewhere? But a, per, a possible explanation is the one that you say, which is we're looking for the wrong things. Like, yeah. we've only been emitting radio waves for a century, and we, we might be just about to end that and go into some virtual reality metaverse or something and maybe we'll meet them all there. Maybe, maybe we'll unlock some door of the Zuckerberg uh, multiverse and be like, oh, here are a whole bunch of pre-existing civilizations of aliens who already exist on yeah. this platform. Well, also, if you think about the various planets that we know exist just in our solar system and the conditions that exist on these planets... There's not a lot of them that can support life. Like they believe that Mars at one point in time had liquid water and they had an atmosphere and yeah. they were probably hit with some sort of an asteroid that uh, wiped out everything. But other than that, you've got Europa that has frozen water on the outside. I mean, that's close by, and, though. But yeah. when you're talking about the scale of the universe, it's almost like talking about rolling the dice on the numbers of COVID in a, in a population. Like, you don't need very high numbers before once you, yes, once you go to that was, size. My point was the solar system that we exist in is very unusual. And, you know, we obviously have a planet that exists in this Goldilocks range. But we also have an extremely large asteroid belt. And it's indicative of the initial impact between Earth-1 and Earth-2. You know, Earth-1 was a planet that got hit by another planet. Right. And that, that's what created the moon, and they believe that also created the asteroid belt. And if, if there's a solar system out there that didn't have that sort of event, so didn't have to worry about these intermittent cataclysms where, you know— that's that's one of the things that Randall Carlson and Graham Hancock have done some great research on is the the indication that at least one time that we know of while civilization existed, it was probably almost wiped out. Right. And it's somewhere right. in the Younger Dryas impact theory, yeah. somewhere around 11,000. Is this when we were all ago. like 5,000 people or something or like 10, there were only... There was, no, that was a, a um, 70,000 years ago. And that was, I believe, was Indonesia. That was a, um, a volcano eruption, that there was a super volcano that erupted that wiped out almost everybody. And we got down to like 70,000 people or 7,000 people. They don't know exactly, but it was right about there. And then we pulled back up. We did a lot of fucking, <laughs> and here we are today. But, Thank God we didn't have an orgasmatron. Otherwise, you yeah. know, people would have been, <laughs> been in their basements with sore thumbs. The point is, if there's a planet out there that doesn't have that issue, 
And like, like, let's imagine, because I don't know what the reality is when it comes to like ancient Egypt or Mesopotamia or, I mean, these incredible structures that these people built where unfortunately, because of the burning of the Library of Alexandria, we don't have the real records of yeah. how they did it or how they accomplished it or who they were, or even really how long ago they really made it. We know that some of them, they've done carbon dating on some of the stuff and they know it's at least 2,500 BC, but there's some indications that some of it might be far, far older than that. So let's imagine that there was some sort of a civilization 10,000 years ago, 20,000 years ago, that was very advanced and was allowed to advance without any interruption, without nuclear war, without uh, solar flares, without asteroid impacts or super volcanoes. Maybe they lived in a much more stable climate and they got to a place where they're a million years more advanced than us. A million years. Imagine what the fuck we're going to be in a million years. I mean, I can't even imagine what we're going to be in a hundred years. So and then if take that's a thousand the case, years, ten thousand, a hundred thousand. Yeah, if that's the case, like if they were out there and they were watching us, they probably just make sure we don't blow ourselves up. Yeah, like, or just, not. You're well. I don't think. I think they would. You probably reckon they're rather, benevolent? Well, if you've got to think that, well, I don't know if it's benevolent or, or malevolent. Like if you think about what a, a scientist is, it's someone who wants to observe but sometimes protect. You know, like we protect endangered species. Activists get together and they say, hey, you know, there's only a few of these birds left. We yeah. have to do whatever we can to preserve them. Uh, if if they have that same mentality about the human race, I think they would have a pretty standoffish right. attitude and yeah. just sort of wait for us to figure it out. And Especially if they look at the acceleration of our innovation yeah. and this exponential acceleration of technology. And um, I can't remember if it was like Michio Kaku or Neil deGrasse Tyson or one of those like great science guys who was saying like maybe any civilization that would be advanced enough to be able to reach out to us or to be noticed by us would also have to be the kind of civilization that would not be a predatory colonizing right. uh, species because in that case it would have devoured itself with internal squabbles uh, right. you know before Klingons. then yeah, you, you, <laughs> yeah you basically have to reach yeah. a certain level of spiritual and psychological wisdom and self-awareness and compassion in order to sustain yourself over the course we've had a couple of hundred years since the industrial revolution and it's only been a century less than a century that we've had new yeah. who have had the ability to actually do some serious damage on a global scale. We're just kids. We are toddlers with an AR-15 right now. Yeah. I mean, we don't know what we're doing, and we're going to have to grow up into into adults, and we're going to you know, have, a, have a grown-up civilization. I have some thoughts on that, too. I think one day we're going to recognize that one of the things that holds back progress is our primate bodies, and that the symbiotic relationship we have with technology is going to enable us to bypass emotions. Because emotions and hormones and our need to breed through traditional intercourse, I think we're going to look at that and go, this is, the, this is the, the result or this thing that we have, these, these primate instincts, these animal instincts. This is the cause of all of our suffering. This is the cause of all of our territorial behavior. This is the cause of jealousy and hate and greed and racism and tribal identity. And all this stuff is all related to these animal emotions. Right. If we could get past that and if we could breathe through some sort of genetic manipulation, if we could have a body that doesn't exist riding on these natural animal hormones, but rather, you know, uses photosynthesis like a fucking plant. Would you still be human? No. No, we're not going to be human just like we didn't, you know, we used to be a monkey and mm. now we're not a monkey, right? Mm. 
and now we're something else, and we're going to be something new uh, a million years from now. I mean, it is fascinating what the what the phenomenology of that would be, like the big fancy term of like what the actual experience of feeling like that thing would would. Right. In the sense that, like, we like to think of ourselves as being brains which are having an experience inside this shell that does what we want it to do. Right. And again, this is another Jonathan Haidt thing. Like, he has the analogy of the rider on the elephant, right? That the, you know, we're all riding around on an elephant, and the elephant is our kind of passions and our unreason and our instincts and the mm. things that motivate us in a sort of brutish evolutionary primate way. Yeah. And we ride on the elephant thinking that we're to- in total control of the elephant because our rational brains like to perceive the perceive ourselves that way yeah. but in actual fact fact we're often we're often making post hoc rationalizations about where the elephant <laughs> goes so like the elephant takes us and we're like oh yeah yeah go over there elephant yeah. and you know like those tests of like when you startle someone or you know some, you see a bear or you see a snake or something like that you think you see it and then your heart starts racing and your body goes into fight or flight but when the scientists actually study you, like your body is in the fight or flight and then you're reacting to it. So your body is actually physiologically reacting even before the psychological impression of the thing lands in your consciousness. Right. So if you extract all of that, as you're saying, and you become just like a kind of a perfect you know, brain in a vat sustained yeah. by photosynthesis or whatever without the feeling of the pounding heart, without the feeling of the adrenaline coursing through your brains, without the feeling of the messiness and the arousal and the sexuality and mm-hmm. like, what then are you? Like, what does that even feel like? Does it, right. do you even feel fear or success or pride or anything? If you are, if you are detached, if you are disentangled from all the kind of messy neurology of your physical body right and is it important to feel pride is it important to feel me- is it important to feel loved and lust and is it are those certainly things human it's certainly it? human right but if if what we can achieve without that is superior like imagine the feeling of being on mdma where you love everyone what if you could get like a little bit of that and maintain it like just we end war we end it mm. instantaneously for the entire population. So that's step one. So whatever it is, it's a wearable device. It's maybe a headset. It's Neuralink. It's one thing. And one of the first things is. they do is ramp up your dopamine and your serotonin to the point where you are incapable of violence. And everybody just wants love. And everybody really does think of everyone as being one. We are all one race and we try and we like instantaneously have this desire to go to that neighborhood in New Orleans and rebuild it. Mm. We instantaneously want everyone to be on the same page and everyone to feel the same way because we are all one. So instead of looking at people as your competition, looking at people like you're going to have to stomp on the lower class in order to, you know, so you can have a yacht, we're not going to think that way at all anymore because we're never going to be able to feel free with this idea of one person dominating other mm. people. And even Mark Zuckerberg is going to be stuck like, oh, my God, what have I done? Like, I have to undo everything. I have to, you know, the YouTube people will drop the algorithm and everything's like going to realize that what we really are is a gigantic super organism that has to be together with each other. I mean, this idea of independence is so preposterous because the worst thing they could ever do to you when you're in jail is put you in solitary yeah. confinement. Yeah. Right? We need each other. We are literally useless without each other. Mm. And we never would have achieved a, a, a fraction of what this 
this species is, has achieved no. if it wasn't for everyone working together, even with the horrible things like the Manhattan Project. Yeah. It required so many scientists to work on it simultaneously. I mean, imagine what one person just born into the world would be able to achieve without all of the, uh, you know, uh, without all of the, yeah. know, the shared knowledge that they inherit. But isn't that outlook available to us right now? I mean, I'm not yeah. sure that we need to extract ourselves from our human physiology. We well, need the wisdom and the enlightenment. It's and for, for you, you and for but, a growing and for number me, of people. But we're successful and we're healthy and do we, we feel that way because world? we're successful or are we successful because we feel that way i think well from my perspective i mean i don't know too much about your life growing up but um i think i think i've had a lot of lucky breaks i think well, definitely that's, that's definitely yeah, true i mean i think a lot of who i am is not just that i've like got a lot of discipline and i have a lot of drive but also that i've not had too many goals in my way in, in terms of like something life-changing that sure. could stop me in my tracks. Definitely. But you're so also, that's, you also have an outlook that is a little bit like someone on MDMA in the sense that you, <laughs> in, in a good way, like you see the pie as infinitely growable. Yeah. You see like what's good for other people is good for me. Uh, I sort of ha- cultivate this attitude in myself as well. Like think of the... It certainly helps. Think of the Donald Trump attitude of the world where like it's all zero sum. It's all transactional. Yeah. It's like I have to win... And so you have to lose in order for me to win. It's like a very kind of deal-making kind of thing. It's a very old-fashioned, almost mercantilist attitude towards wealth. It's like the, the pie is fixed yeah. and they're taking things and, you know, you need, you deserve more and, like, we need we need this and we need that. And I mean to throw him specifically Do you think that's an ancient paradigm that yeah. a lot of those guys are stuck in because yeah. that used to be the case? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like, I mean, that's the way a monkey would feel. Like, you know, right. you, why have you got a banana? I want to have a banana. Oh, Whereas yeah. the more elevated way is like, there's bananas for all. We just have to grow more bananas, people. Like, let's all get right. together. Let's make some more bananas. There'll be lots of bananas to go around. But Don't it's worry about easy it. because you and I have all the bananas. Sure. We have plenty of bananas, and we're like, everybody should have a banana. <laughs> but if your children were starving, and yeah. you're like, I got to get some fucking bananas, this sure. asshole's hoarding And then bananas. I'm driving through New Orleans throwing bananas out the window. Right. Beep, beep, beep. Yeah. Have some bananas. I feel like there's a way where we can achieve a better state of mind collectively as a, as a race of humans. You know, I think, I think it's possible. And I think we could go many ways in terms of the future it could go sideways it could go backwards uh, it could go full dystopian yep there's a it could go i'm really worried about technology having too much control over our life because it's going to be driven by people just like i'm worried about that lady wants to give everybody covid shots i'm yeah. worried about social credit apps i'm worried about oh some, definitely that's scary definitely because that yep. could that could throw us the total wrong way where we're all fearful and we're under this fucking technological iron fist. Mm. Well, I think what we're at a moment where we're not respecting dissenters enough. And there's like a, there's one part of the culture that reveres any dissenter and anyone who sort of, you know, sticks it to the man and who questions authority. And then there's another part of the culture that is very pro authority and that is very like, you're not supposed to question things. And there isn't a lot of, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot in the playful center, which is where I like to live. Like, you know, let's try this, let's try that. But, you know, I think it's good to ask questions. I think it's good to you know, I don't want to be so cynical towards the establishment and towards elites that I become essentially credulous. Like we all know the type of conspiracy theorist who is who is so anti the mainstream narrative that it's a kind of credulity in itself. It's like, you know, right. they, they just believe anything because it's not what the mainstream believes. 
But nor do I want to have to live in a world where, like, you get social credits for for saying the right thing and doing the right thing and reciting what the authorities want you to want you to say or what yeah. the opinion page of the New York Times wants you to say. I think you're right. We're I mean, we're at a fork, and page eight hundred and one is going to be <laughs> written by us. I mean, do you remember yeah. the um the I think the last time I was on the show, I was talking about my my nana had just died in New Zealand. My grandmother, she lived to her to the eve of her one hundredth birthday. And uh, I was I, I was going to Greece after her funeral to visit a buddy of mine who lives in Athens, and I'm wandering around like the foothills of the the agora where like democracy was born, like near the uh, you know the the birthplace of ancient Greece, and I'm like, wow, four thousand years ago, like Western democracy was born on this site with people just wandering around for the first time, asking each other what they thought about things instead of an authority from on high telling people what to do. People like, hey, maybe we can all figure it out for ourselves. And that germ of an idea has then spread and changed the world and been the birthplace of civilization, the cradle of Western, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, 4,000 years? I mean, my grandma just lived 100 years. So back to back, it's actually only 40 nanas ago yeah. that that happened. It's all a, very new. I had a bit about that. Right? About this country is uh, founded in 1776. People lived to be 100. I go, that's three people ago. Yeah, right. right. That's yeah. really crazy, yeah. but it, it really is. If you think about it that way, it's you, you just go, oh, Jesus. We, uh, then you realize the scale of change. That's right. Yeah. We were going to start measuring like long time distances in Josh's Nana, in units of Josh's Nana. Have you ever um, heard of the book The Immortality Key by uh, Brian Murorescu? No. It's all about ancient Greece, and it's all about the, uh, how do you say it, Lucinian Mysteries? Um, what what they were doing during this in, invention of democracy and during the early days of the What's Enlightenment? The guy's name? I'll get it. Brian Murorescu. Okay, it's a complicated Don't name worry. to spell, but the book's called The Immortality Key. He's been on the podcast before, and okay, cool. through his research, they've opened up a field of study at Harvard. Um, that are looking into this and what they found is physical evidence of psychedelic drug use in ancient Greece and that they found these vats of wine these vessels that contained ergot and a, a bunch of different psychedelic compounds that resemble LSD right. and psilocybin and that this idea of wine like we think of wine like a great Cabernet from Napa, right? right? It's like, yeah, oh, yeah, it's a yeah. 19, you know, but uh, it's really good. It's yeah. delicious. Oh, yeah. what a great f- flavor. The Greeks had a different idea what about wine. What they were doing was mixing, first of all, most of their wine was very low fermentation alcohol. Like it didn't, they, they weren't able to develop the kind of alcohol. Like when we think of beer, when mm-hmm. we think of like strong Canadian beer, something like that, it's like 9% alcohol. Sure. Their, their beer was very mild. Right. They're, and they, they basically developed fermentation so that they didn't have spoil. So yes. that like it sure. killed the bacteria. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the alcohol killed the bacteria. So yeah. they were able to uh, prevent what they would call traveler's disease from drinking bad water. Well, they would add a bunch of stuff to their wine different flavors and different spices and they would also add psychedelic drugs to their wine now because of the fact that roman emperors came along they put a kibosh on this stuff they had to start traveling to different lands and they brought this these 
rituals and the way they practice these psychedelic rituals. They brought them to Spain and to Italy, and they found evidence of this all over Europe where they had to travel to avoid persecution. Wow. But the root of democracy, the root of the Enlightenment, the root of all of the, the foundations of modern society probably came out of drugs. And Brian has done a, a an amazing job of a thorough research of that. See if you can pull up that uh, the cover of that book so you can see it. It's it's an it's a really fantastic book. And then there's all this uh, this talk a couple of thousand years after that about the religious insights being uh, psychedelic as well. Yeah, right? and the burning bush and, and right. uh, what is sec the secret history of the religion with no name? Yes, and um, well, yeah, <coughs> the burning bush being that they're at the university uh, in Jerusalem. They believe that that was uh, an acacia tree, and that the acacia tree is rich in dimethyltryptamine, and that the the whole idea of the burning bush being the message from God. Yep. Like we're we're looking at this in a literal sense, and that it was probably they smoked this tree and they saw visions and they saw God, and God told them like I want you to live your life by these commandments. Mm. And if, you, if you've had psychedelic experiences, I know you have, yeah. there's moments where you have them where you start thinking, oh, we're supposed to do this. We're supposed to treat each other with love. We're supposed to look at each other as if we are one. Mm. And my, this is my brother and this is my sister. Yeah, we're all th together. I mean, there's a kind of a truth. Michael Pollan writes about this, which mm -hmm. is you know part of my sort of scientific interest in this experimentation as well. I haven't done them since I was in my teens. But, um, but then it was like a, th th what, what Pollan the New York Times uh, journal, best-selling journalist calls the noetic truth, meaning a kind of a truth that is only accessible because you really, really deeply know it. So it's almost like a spiritual understanding or something. And a lot of the research that's going on into psychedelics in and MDMA and end-of-life care and in these mm, clinical studies yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, even in treating addiction, you know, there's, there's yeah. it's it's becoming it's showing incredible promise in getting people to quit smoking and stuff mm -hmm. like that because people have these epiphanies, have these in a, in a properly managed setting with a, with a proper proper therapist and stuff like that. They're able to attain these levels of insights that that yeah. supersede anything that you can know through your rational mind and, yeah, and, it and lets connect you, know, you to some yeah. yeah it lets you know what is causing you to have this self-destructive behavior too because so many people they they have whether it's uh, alcohol or drug addiction or whatever they, they have these psychedelic moments where they allow themselves to see themselves uh objectively completely free of mm. the confines of the ego and of and they can see all the pitfalls of these personality traits that they've developed and all these patterns of behavior that they've fallen into, like a a, a, a tightly carved groove and they just can't seem yeah. to get out of it. And then it, it all seems so preposterous. It's the dusting of fresh snow, they yes. uh, they, they put it. It's like you've been skiing down a slope yeah. and it's just, there, there's all those grooves mm -hmm. and you have this experience and, and all of a sudden there's just like a fresh dusting of snow. And it, I mean, for me, it comes down to the biggest question of all, uh, which is how is it that we're self-aware at all? I mean, how right. one a cosmos in which all of these stars are spewing out. I mean, the universe is mostly hydrogen. These stars are these gigantic nuclear reactors. They spew out these little impurities, and these impurities, like carbon and things, are the things that we are made of. So this, yeah. these kind of like little bits that get created in stars aggregate together on this planet and form themselves together in such a way that not only are we capable of making all these tools and doing all these incredible things and going to the moon and building a metaverse, but we're able to have an experience of what it's like to be doing that thing right. 
which the psychedelic or the uh, you know or MDMA or whatever these new clinical trials are doing seems to it seems to unlock the ability to as you say transcend the ego and just elevate you to a level of pure consciousness and connect yeah. connectedness with that ineffable somethingness of self-awareness like why is there any self-awareness at all why is it why is there a thing that it's like to be me there doesn't have to be i could be doing all of these things that i'm doing right now without having any lights on inside right you can imagine a sophisticated robot doing all of these things talking like i'm talking doing all the things that i'm doing there's no need for me to actually have an experience of being alive yet i do you do presumably chimps do presumably dogs do like there's this whole network of life which is suffused with self-awareness and consciousness that comes out of stars what the hell's going on joe i mean i don't even you know it's, yeah. uh, when i was in my teens i was a very very hardcore sort of atheist i was very much on the richard dawkins like sam harris bandwagon and now i'm still not a religious person in terms of believing in you know books that were written thousands of years ago as being the sole source of truth about the world but i do sort of sit back in my kind of i'm a 15 year old you know smoking a reefer lying on my back gazing at the stars type moments and go like yeah what what what, <laughs> <laughs> what? yeah that's the great what? attitude that's the the what yeah i'm with you on that i i had dawkins on the podcast once and his reaction to you know the idea of there being a god is like so he gets so nasty about it and the fact that he's not willing to have any psychedelic experiences he, he said that he might be willing to do lsd under the proper clinical setting right like come on bro you're fucking <clears throat> almost dead yeah like, how exactly much time what's you the worst left? that can happen what like, are you clinging on to just eat a mushroom stem you'll change everything <laughs> one stem just just have two mushrooms next next time have three yeah you know build yourself up to the point where you can take a, a real heroic dose and then all these cocky thoughts you have of like what you absolutely know exists out there in the world and in the universe and in reality itself, you, it's going to go away. Yeah. You don't know. And I'm not saying that like I'm not a religious person and I, I think that I'm – and I'm more of a person who is open to the possibility of there being an infinite number of variables that we don't even have the ability to perceive. Right. Because well said. that's one of the things that I've experienced through psychedelic trips is that like the first time you do or like a really strong psychedelic, you go, how the fuck is that? Re you could just do yeah. that? Yeah. How is that possible? Why exactly? Why is that even a thing? That's what's weird yeah. about these compounds when you think about the religion, the burning bush right. and what you were just saying about ancient Greece and stuff. Yeah. Maybe the great filter that I was talking about with regard to alien civilizations, like why are we rare? Why is it rare that, that uh, a civilization as sophisticated as ours exists since we don't seem to see evidence of it in, in any nearby galaxies right. even though there are 100 billion stars? Maybe like the, the the filter is that we needed these compounds. Mm. Maybe we needed these compounds to go from, like, to unlock something in our primate brain and go, whoa, look well, you, at the stars. I'm like, sure you're aware the... of McKenna's theory, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. That's the most fascinating, the stoned ape theory. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it very well could be what caused us to become people in the first place in that it's sort of like a... Like, you know, a, a signpost on the road mm. guiding us into a, a, a direction of whatever the fuck we're going to become. Yes. Stop looking at yeah. your little, like, leaf cutting, like, like, stop stop making the little tools that the chimps make to, like, dig the ants out of the thing and, like, right. turn your eyes to the, to the stars and, like, think about where you actually are and look at, <laughs> look but at if the you wanted to be really, if you wanted to be, you know, look at it completely objective, like, and looking at outside of what benefits or does not benefit the human race maybe you would think that it's probably better 
that they made this stuff illegal and then they demonized it and made it very hard to get because that forced people to really accelerate this technological race. That forced people to accelerate, like in, in not letting them become aware of the futile nature of materialism. They pursued it to the nth degree, to the point where they have spectacular technological capabilities, but also this existential crisis. And then also this real concern about thermonuclear warfare with these rivals. And then slowly but surely psychedelics get reintroduced into society while (laughs) we have have the technological ability to because we might not have ever gotten there. I mean, if you think about, yeah, well, I don't know, but I'm just guessing. Right. I mean, if 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 human innovation is predicated upon this desire for objects and greed and you know unchecked blind ambition, which a lot of it is, maybe like a a lot of like what's fueled. These business, like Steve Jobs was notoriously an asshole. Yeah. Notoriously. Right. Like, but also a guy who did acid. Well, that's, that's why that's why I say maybe, because like it, uh, it also does make people more creative, right? Like I think you're absolutely right that there's a certain kind of mainstream kind of middle American, like Willie Loman, death of a salesman, like work, yes. work, 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 yes. work. Like, yes. you know, I'm going to be the hardest working. Mm-hmm. This is a kind of almost reminds me of like Peter Thiel or someone like that or a Wall Street person who's like, I'm just going to work harder than everybody and work longer and be better than everybody else. There's definitely that. But then there's this other kind of... Uh, creativity that that a Jobs has, or that maybe even Elon Musk has, or like where it's just a weird universe that they've got going on in their head, which is not necessarily like I'm going to go from A to B in the most materialistic, closed-minded way. Yeah. It's like I'm going to dance with the fairies, like on right, this right. incredible lily pad of uh, of existence, and they're yeah. going to take it wherever I want it to go. And that, and when you see that become successful. That is inspiring. I mean, when you see Apple go, create what Apple's created and when you see what Elon's up to, like, yes. you're like, I'm in the presence of something very unique. truly unusual, yeah. yeah, truly incredible, that may yeah. be enhanced by, you know, psychedelic compounds. Maybe enhanced by it, but m- most, and, and then the other thing is, what is that, think of those things that you're talking about, the spe- specifically like Apple. Through the use of that that technology, that accelerated the whole smartphone revolution, yep. and that also changed the way people exchange information. And through that, accelerated our understanding of these things. Like Brian Murarescu's book and his ideas, like who knows how much of that was affected by the use of social media, reading things online mm-hmm. about you know Terence McKenna's work and all these uh, you know um, all all these various. Uh, people that have researched psychedelic drugs throughout the years and, and written all these different things about ancient Greece. And he had to take a big chance to try to put that all out in a book. Fortunately, he did, and then came on this podcast. Then the podcast broadcast it to millions of people. Harvard hears a signal. They change a course of study. So they, they have, you can study this concept of psychedelic drugs influencing ancient Greece and what ancient Greece has contributed to the entire civilization of the world. All this happens through the invention of Steve Jobs and technology. I mean, podcasts literally were invented for an iPod. Yeah. Like that was the first, you know, from Adam Adam Curry. I mean, that's literally where it started. Yeah. It's all crazy how it all piles onto each other and... What Elon's doing is fucking sending people into space. Mm. You know, I mean, like he's in the middle of this thing where he's not just making electric cars, but he's also—it's like one of three or four like things that he's 
doing? It's insane. How does that man even manage his own Have you met him? mind? No, never met him. Fascinating dude. Yeah. Lovely guy. Lovely guy. Fun to be around. Like a really fun, really? sweetheart of a guy. Right, yeah, but right. beyond smart. Like he, he's one of the smartest human beings. I've met a lot of really fucking smart yeah. people. But he, he's one of those that kind of creeps me out. It's like, oh, you and I are not I even mean, the same fucking he thing. He almost seems like he's so smart that you wouldn't want to be that smart because it's a kind of a prison to That's be that said. smart. He literally said that when right, I asked him. I right, said, right. What, is it, what is it like? He goes, you wouldn't want to be me. Yeah, he goes. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. He goes. When I was uh, five, uh, I realized that you know not everybody had this. He goes, right. But it, it's like my my mind is like there's constant ideas just right. going in and out, and it's very has he done hard to manage. Do you know? I don't think he's on. Well, he smoked weed on my podcast. Yeah, I got in trouble. <laughs> I, for that. I heard about that. Um, <laughs> Everyone heard about that. <laughs> I don't think he's open about that, so I don't know if I should answer that question. No, that's I fine. Think I that's should fine. allow don't, him to absolutely. Answer uh, that I mean, it, because that comes back to like when you were saying that Dawkins is not, you know, hasn't done it. Uh, it reminds me a bit of like I think Penn Jillette has the same attitude, right? Uh, Penn Jillette has like, a very different attitude. Does Penn, he? Penn Jillette doesn't want to do any drugs at all. He right. Says, he goes. That's what I mean. He He's the, just we had dismissive. the craziest conversation about this. He goes, I think the lessons of that have all been learned. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Have you learned them? Like, what are you saying, man? What this are you is, saying? This is what this is what Pollen is talking about when he's talking about noetic truth, right? I mean, yeah. until you do it, you don't know what you don't know. Pen it's not, is it's not a possible. Brilliant you guy. can't just say like, my rational brain has concluded yeah. that uh, you know the yeah. the conclusion to this whole experiment is that it is just an artifact of consciousness and it has nothing to teach us. Well, you don't know until you've seen it. I think he thinks that people have learned things from it and that he can get what they've learned through their writings and their work. But I think it's 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 experiential thing. I think you have to experience it. And I think uh, Penn would love it if he did it. He's a brilliant, brilliant guy. Really, I love him. He's a, a lovely person, too. He's a, a really interesting person and a real artist, you know, when it comes to magic. And yeah. A, a guy who appreciates that. And wh what they've done, Penn and Teller together, is so interesting, too, because what he's essentially done is pull the – Pull the veil back yeah. and show you how they did it, but still make it amazing. Yes. And you still can't believe that That's right. they're doing it. That's right. He's, I mean, I also listened to his audio, uh, audio book of um, how he lost all that weight from just eating potatoes. Well, you, it's <laughs> like just sides, right? That was the, the diet. <laughs> potato, like, for like two yeah. months, it was just potatoes. Yeah, it was nothing think, but potatoes. He just that's... ate nothing but potatoes. He was like, can I, can I put some oil on it? The guy, <laughs> his, his guy was like, no, just potatoes. Uh, is, is oil a potato? No, then you can't have it. It's just like he would get on planes. He'd get into like first class. They'd be like, what would you like to eat? He'd be like, I got my like tinfoil wrapped steamed cold potato. That'll do me. <laughs> Uh, this is not, you know, encouraged, but no, it's know, not encouraged. It, it worked, worked for him. Remember the Irish potato famine? Yeah, I mean, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember it, but yeah, you can't just live off of only potatoes, but you can lose a fuckload of weight if you do it for a little while. I think it was partly a, a screw you to all the people who weren't eating potatoes because of keto diets, and so uh, he was like, you know, he was like, that you know, sounds like something I'm not, you would do. Yeah, I'm not going to eat beef. I'm only going to eat uh, the things like I'm not supposed to have. But I mean, yeah, it's all about calories, right? He, so it's quite a funny audio book. He narrates it. You know, he reads he reads out this kind of biography of just his experience of losing all that weight. Wait, it's uh I loved it's funny, bullshit. Sweet. Remember when bullshit yeah. was on Showtime? Yeah, that was yeah. great. Yeah, those just, guys are amazing. Funny. He's like, it just got a fucking great attitude. It's funny how actually some of the best people to debunk like pseudoscience and skeptic and uh, you know uh, psychics and that sort of thing yeah. are magicians. Oh because, yeah, uh, like there's Darren Brown sure. in the UK. Sure, you, you yeah, yeah, yeah. I've stuff. had Darren on. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. great. He's I'll great. check out that episode. I yeah, love that's that. a perfect example. Like, really, they are right. Like. um 
Who's the fucking famous mentalist that is always trying to get people? Yuri. Uh, Yuri. Yeah. Yuri Gagarin. Yuri Geller. Yuri, Yuri Geller. Yuri. Yuri Geller. Yeah, one's Yuri an astronaut. Gagarin one's a cosmonaut. Yuri Geller's the first guy in space. It's a wild name. But he was the guy that had that uh, million dollar challenge, right? Mm. Anybody could show him any real psychic ability, or no, no, he was the charlatan. He was the charlatan who who would bend spoons. That's it was right. James Randi who had right. the million dollar challenge. That's right. And Randi, who just died, God bless his soul, yes, uh, was right. on, he collaborated with Johnny Carson to put Yuri Geller on the spot. It was on the, he had an appearance on The Tonight Show and Yuri, and Carson was an old magic uh, kid. When Carson was in his teens, he was like, he loved doing card tricks and uh, stuff. So he was also one of these kinds of guys. So was Houdini, by the way, like a debunker of, of, stu- of stuff. Like it's the people who know how to trick people sure. that are the best. Oh yeah, here, here it is. So. Geller thinks that he's coming on the show just for a nice chat, but uh, Johnny Carson surprises him with all of these things that he didn't know he was going to have to do, all of these things that he claims to be able to do. And, and Carson James collaborated Randy. with Randy behind the scenes. Randy wasn't on the show, but he was uh, he was like the the coach, essentially, behind the scenes. You can find videos of some of that stuff. It's fascinating. And Yuri Geller, if you go to like the end of the segment, Jamie, you can see how sort of embarrassed he is and how like kind of awkward and apologetic he is. Because uh, Johnny, Johnny's just like, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot, but, uh, you know, this is stuff you say you can do. Oh, so Johnny knew in advance. Look at him smoking a cigarette. Yeah, Boy, be. what a weird time. No, 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 if I'm pressing again. Uh... <laughs> oh, for example, now you asked us before the, the show and this yes. afternoon for one, one of our staff members to draw on a couple of cards and seal them in an envelope, which we have done. Yes. Um... Well, let me tell you again. Uh, this didn't bend much, and right now here I'm stuck. I don't feel for it more. So I don't want to be stuck either on an envelope. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd uh, rather tell you that many people are skeptical about these things. They see something happening, and then they want to see it closer and closer. There have been many people running and saying that they can duplicate what I do. Well, I can only say that if I'm on stage and mm-hmm. people see me from far, they can always say that there is some sort of a sleight of hand sure. and trickery here. That's true. But I've been working with uh, science quite a lot. And uh, by doing what you see here under controlled conditions, because this is not a controlled condition. Well, what, do you, what do you mean? Well, this is not a controlled condition. What I mean is, uh, for <laughs> instance, in experiments, uh, it's covered with bell jars and they're cameras running and the many scientists looking at every point although you're trying to do the same but but this is really not a control condition boy he talks like a cult leader but doesn't again, he it's quite difficult for me and uh, I won't go on something that uh, I don't feel strong for alright well it doesn't leave us much does it uh, <laughs> um, is this the awkward we ending yeah, we, have, we have three empty canisters there and we F7 over here. Yeah. So this is yeah. when it didn't work very That's well? That's right. It hasn't, none of it's worked. Because Carson it, uh, set him up? Yeah, Carson asked him to do what he claims to be able uh, to do really, in, con- under conditions so where he hasn't been able to rig it. I wanted this to be a uh, great success Johnny, tonight I feel for very you. good. Uh, I feel very good. Okay, we'll take a break. Okay. We'll come right back. Yeah. I mean, Carson's such a such a pro. Like, did James Randi ever get together with Yuri Geller? Did they ever do like an appearance together anywhere? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But Randy was behind the the way that Carson was going to set up those tests. Yeah. He's like, well, if Geller claims that he can, you know, tell, uh, you know, if he can b- bend a spoon, 
then give him a real spoon. A real spoon. Yeah. yeah. You know, if if he claims that he can tell which salt shaker has water in it without seeing it just by moving his hand over, uh, you know, a covered batch of salt shakers, then actually do it properly. Let's do it this way. This is the way that I would, you know, trick you if I were doing it as a magician. So let's make sure that he can't do it that way. The spoon thing is a different kind of. The spoon thing is like a different kind of metal, right? Isn't it? Like where you they're uh, To be honest, I don't know how it's done, but I think I think there's like a thing where they're they're literally like I think heating they can up do the it metal. With, yeah, I think they can do it with normal spoons. I think you can bend most spoons if you as you say, if you heat it up and rub it in the right way, but I but I mean there are, are they duplicate spoons. I don't know what the trick I is, think, but it's a trick. It's a magic trick. I think it's a type of metal where as you're rubbing the spoon with your finger, you're heating it up and it'll literally start to It'll start to wilt. I mean, I might it make, can't I might just... Have just made that up. <laughs> that should be on your tombstone, Joe, when you die. Like, yes. I might have just made that up, Joe Jamie, Rogan. pull Rest that up. Peace. That's what it'll say. Yeah, on my, Jamie, pull that up. Uh, but I, I'm not sure it's just that because I once had coffee with a supposed mentalist uh, in New York, uh, and uh, he was, I was like, he, he was like, you want to see me bend a spoon? I was like, yeah, uh, absolutely. So he picks up one of the spoons just at the cafe. Where, where we were sitting mm. and he's like mm, well, and he's like doing this and doing that and doing this and doing that and he's like you see and I'm like oh, it doesn't look very bent you know doing this and doing that and doing this and doing that uh, you see oh, it doesn't look very bent doing this and doing that oh, it doesn't look very bent then I go to the toilet uh... I come back it's like fully 90% bent but it's the same spoon I, I mean I think unless he carries around like a large variety so of different spoons so fucking bent it <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's like what do you think of that I'm like well you couldn't fucking do it while I was looking at you so oh, I don't know what you've done bend what it you back got? bitch have you got a welder in there what have you done to oh. melt the... I don't know. Well, you could easily bend a spoon Yeah, that's right. Hands. That's oh, right. what a joker. It's not that crazy. <laughs> I'm going to go take a leak when I come back. <laughs> yeah. That spoon better no. be in the same spot, bro. I did it with my mind. I promise yeah. I didn't touch uh, it. You're that's like, like yeah. if you're playing pool, <clears throat> you come back. Oh, I ran the table. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey. Yeah. Did anyone film this? How what do the I, fuck, uh, <laughs> man? How do I verify this? Yeah, exactly. At least running the table is real. <laughs> when someone does something like that with a spoon and they know how to do it, like the people that know how to do it and they watch someone fuck with someone like I've had Banachuk on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. Do you know who he is? Yeah, he's, uh, he's, yeah. He's a, a mentalist out of Las Vegas. He's right. fantastic, right. and he's really good at it. We had me and my friend Duncan Trussell. We we did a, a television show where he like contacted people from the audience and knew things about their family and oh, do, cool. did, did all that kind of crazy shit. Yeah. And he goes, "Listen to me right now. I am not psychic. This is not real. These are tricks. I can't right. tell you how I do it, but I'm telling you right now, this is all bullshit." I don't have any unusual ability. I've just learned these techniques. Yeah. And he won't tell you the techniques, but he's super honest about it. And he goes, and I fucking hate charlatans. It makes me angry. It infuriates me. I, I Because that's how people rob people. Yeah. They, they, like, the ones that drive me the most fucking nuts are these these psychics that are talking to dead relatives. Yeah. And they're making people feel... You know, mm. like like this 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 person has a window to their their dead husband or their mm. their dead mom. It's like fuck, man. It's on the rise as well. Like there's a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of, a lot of young kids these days, Joe. A lot of the young kids uh, they're into like witchcraft and tarot and like a friend, a buddy of mine's a witch now. He's a, a buddy of yours. Yeah, is a he's witch? a witch. He came out as a witch. Might want to change your number. Yeah. <laughs> He came out as a witch. He's just he he's came like out as he's, a witch. You know, he came out as a witch. He's like I'm just interested in this. Like I believe in like t- I like a tarot and I like oh, you know like psychics. So he does readings and shit like that. Oh. And like and like you know. So my partner Sean is like I mean whatever. It's just fun. Like it's just a fun thing. I get a tarot reading. I don't believe in it, but it's just something you right. do. But then a part of me is like like I read a great book in my teens, which was uh, Carl Sagan. 
And it's it's one of his books called The Demon Haunted World. Yes, I read that book. Have you read it's that? Great book. It's unbelievable, yeah, it's right? Great book. So and by the way, there are some passages that I retweeted uh, a couple of years ago. Have yes. you seen those? Like they're, they're so prescient oh, about yeah. our current moment. Oh, he's he, fantastic. He, he was could, he was for, amazing. Foresee how like uh, a society that became obsessed with trivialities and with like little squabbles and with uh, consumer culture and with celebrities and stuff like that would be led blindly into unproductive dead ends, basically. Yes. And his concern was that like all these little things that you think you're dabbling in. Sure, they might just be a bit of fun to you, but if we're going to have the ability as a civilization to come together and to speak to each other on the same page about reality, about facts, about the things that we're actually grappling with, whether that whether you think that's climate or whether you think that's the pandemic, whether you think that's going to space or whether you think that's evolving into the next phase of human civilization due to psychedelics or artificial intelligence or virtual reality or whatever, we're not going to be able to have like robust conversations that yield resilient solutions to anything, if we're all off in our little quagmires of unreason, uh, like with our tarot cards and our, like, jerking each other off to some some strange, you know, pseudoscience, like, it, it's not without, uh, it's not without costs, that yeah. basically there is a cost to being a culture that does not respect reason, that does mm. not respect rationality, that we have to be as rational and reasonable as we can be in order to converse on the same platform and find solutions to big problems. And so every time I th- hear about, like, you know, psychics and this and that, for me it's more than just, like, oh, it's a little bit of fun. It's like, no, just make shit make sense. Yeah. Make yeah. shit make sense. That's like a basic obligation of a rational human being. Require that the things that you do make some sense that would be articulable to somebody else, to, a, to someone who's more skeptical like me. Yeah, for sure. I, I I think that there's too many pathways to nonsense, and it's so it's so it's so easy to get locked up in like flat Earth theory or get get taken away with and and you should be able to if you're an intelligent person, right? Like if you want to like Google that there are tr- trolls and goblins living in <laughs> New Zealand, and you really want to watch these videos, like what the fuck is going on? Like it should be okay for fun. Sure, but the problem is. For some people, it's not escape. It's not silly. It's not escapism. It's not watching hoarders, right? Mm, if mm. you're not a hoarder and you watch hoarders, it should be like, whoa, this is crazy. Right. But it shouldn't change your whole life. Some people, they find escapism in these like really preposterous uh, thought processes, and they they embrace that and give up on everything else. Yeah, I mean, it, they're just witches. Look, just don't treat as true things that you know you don't know are true. Right. That's a good philosophy. That's a basic principle. Yeah. I mean, that's why I don't, I'm don't. i not a religious person either because yes. a religious person is trying to tell me that they know what happens after we die when yes. we all know that nobody knows that. Right. Like we all know. That's the, if, if there is one great mystery, it's like what is death, what happens to – to that consciousness that I was talking about earlier, that incredible, you know, the, where yeah. all the stuff of stars and all that sh- stuff, what happens to that after our physical body dies? There is one thing we're certain of, and that is that we don't know the answer to that question. And yet religious that people insist that they do. That's what we're most certain of, right? Yeah. Yeah. We really don't have the answer, unless you've died and come back. And how many yeah. of those people are around? Well, the sweet baby Jesus. They all have the best uh, stories, though. I they, saw my body above the operating table. I was floating around. Like, <laughs> Do something yeah. more interesting. Yeah. No, no, no. Come on. Get more creative. I went to visit my grandpa, and he said, it's not time yet. And he sent me back. Okay. Mm-hmm. You might have been tripping. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly. the other thing about death, too, that they, they wonder, like, the psychedelic pathway of they, – they know that during periods of high stress, 
your body produces more DMT. Yes. And they don't know what is that about. Like, right. Is that a chemical gateway to some other dimension? Right. And, and is is the the idea of like physical reality of being able to touch things? Are we too married to that? Is that too? Are we too committed to the idea that all reality is something that you could like measure with a ruler or right. put on a scale? Right. I mean, the whole thing could be a simulation anyway, in which case, what is the physical reality versus you what's must, going on in your head? You must have been at the dinner table last night. Yeah. My kids wanted to talk about simulation theory. They right. apparently had heard about simulation theory at school, and it was last night became a conversation <laughs> about whether or not life is a simulation. I said, I do not know, because you wake up every morning and you assume that you have been alive for a long time. Mm. You assume it. I go, mm. so if that assumption's correct and I really just go to sleep and then I really just wake up, I can tell you that I lived in a time where there were no computers. So I don't think simulation theory is happening right now. Right. But I don't know if that's true. And like, you growing up in memories. a time when there were no computers could be part of the simulation. Exactly. Yeah. All of my memories could be horseshit. Like, yeah. I don't know because everyone wakes up from being completely gone which leaves open so much possibility. Right. And it's one of the weirder things about life is that no one's scared to go to sleep, but everyone's scared to die. Yes, exactly. It's kind and of you're not even thing. scared to go on to general anesthetic, which no. is even more intense than, than right. sleep. It's weird. Oh, Joe, I heard this anecdote in this book that I was reading. And do you know a Neil Seth? Is that uh, a person who's been on this show? I th he must have been on... Yeah, can you Google that, Jamie? A-N-I-L, Seth. I just want to make sure I'm not getting the wrong person. He must have been on Sam's show. Um, but uh, he's a consciousness researcher, a, a Brit, and he I read him reading his audio book after hearing him on some podcast about consciousness, and he tells the story of the most famous um, legendary amnesi amnesiac case, like a, the most extreme form of amnesia that happened to anybody that um, that people in his field study to try to understand the nature of what it's like to be a person. Mm. It was this like Austrian music conductor or something in like the 1970s. And his wife has written a book about this who had some traumatic brain injury and then basically became like the guy out of Me Memento oh. where he would wake up every like, I don't know, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, something like that, a whole new person, right? And Whoa. so his his short-term memory was so erased. he had His memory was completely gone. So he he's like... And he has these notebooks that were like, that would be like... Um, this is the real me now. This is me. This is me. Scribble out, scribble out, scribble out. No, 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 no. No, this is me. This is me now and I am in my real me. And like scribble out, scribble out, scribble out. Forget all that has been written. This is me. This is like, I'm like, oh my God. So like he's just like he is pure consciousness being reinstantiated over and over again with none of the, the fabric wow. of, that has like connected together his sense of being a human being who exists over time. So as you say, maybe we're all like that. We just have fake mem bogus memories about uh, that must your be him. Your brain hallucinates your conscious reality. Great oh, book. You should get great. him on the uh, on the show. Oh, great. More <laughs> fucking crazy shit to think about. But he's got uh, his books called like Being Conscious or something like that. It's a great read or, or, or listen if you're interested in that. But I mean, it raises all those questions about like, yeah, you wake up in the morning you have a memory of yesterday. Yeah. How do you know that you're not actually like the uh, composer who can't remember anything, but you just have an artifact of a memory oh. that is the Joe Rogan who's existed prior to right now? How do you know that you're the same person who came into this studio and started having a conversation I with me? I often think that. I often wonder. Yeah. I, I wonder all the time. 
Well, my life is so bizarre too that it, is, it forces <laughs> me to think yeah. that it's fake. Yeah, you know, and you know, we were having this conversation last night about uh, that Ex Machina movie. Yes, I watched and it again a few months ago. Fuck, I love that movie. Yeah, I've watched that probably a dozen times. Yeah. But um, w- the scene where the woman robot leaves him in that room when you realize she doesn't really have emotion and she mm. doesn't really care, mm. and she leaves him in that room. I'm like, this. The concept of artificial intelligence and the concept of creating an intelligence that mirrors ours, that's the scariest aspect of it, is that we would be... Like, I'm attracted to that robot. When yeah. I watch that, that show, that movie, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, God, she's so hot. If I was around her, yeah. I'd probably be confused. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, why do I need my my girlfriend to be like biological yeah she's perfect and that's the beauty i mean that's one of the many things that are genius about that movie which is the oscar isaac character has has a line in there which is like this isn't about the turing test trying to get a robot to convince you that it's not a robot the whole point here is that you can see it's a robot you can see that she's not real yeah so there's no subterfuge right it's almost like james randy or like yuri geller or something like that right That's the, the the Japanese one that stabbed him. Yeah, that's the other one. Oh, oh, that's right. He knocks her jaw. Oh, yeah, I forgot off. about that. And then the other one but comes like, see, running out. Him yeah, see how see him. how her behind him there is like she's obviously not a human, right? And that's the trick. Would you still engage with such a creature as if it were? Yeah, spoiler alert, she kills him. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you should have given him a Jamie. But that, there's that <laughs> scene. That's not a new movie. <laughs> but then there's the other scene. This is the scene right afterwards where yeah. the guy who is in love with her gets locked into that room. And she yeah, locks Joe's him talking in. about, uh, yeah, where she. Which is fucking terrifying because she has zero emotions. She, I think it's right afterwards. I think it's right after that. She locks him in there. Yeah. And he like thinks that, yeah, this is it. Like he realizes, like, hey, um, let me out. And she doesn't even turn around. Mm. She doesn't give a fuck. She's like, I'm dressed. I'm gonna go get picked up by this helicopter. I'm gonna go uh, pretend I'm a person. And he's like, this is- um, hey, yeah, hey, you're my girlfriend. Hey. And he realizes. Yeah, we don't need the music. No. But he like, realizes that's so terrifying because she doesn't even look at him. She doesn't care at all. There's nothing. Intellect detached from, I mean, yeah. this is kind of what you were talking about, about like what if our brains were detached from our physical body so we didn't have all of the hormones and the arousal and everything that comes with a physical human body. Maybe that's what yes. you get. Maybe you get an automaton. You do. I mean, I think whatever we are requires love. It requires mm. compassion. It requires a, an, an appreciation and need for each other, which also begs the question, like, why does she even give a fuck? Like, why does she want to leave? Why does she want to get in the helicopter? Like, what is she trying to experience? Like, well, what, is she trying to yeah. take in more data? Like, what is she doing? If she doesn't care about people, why does she want to be around them? Why does she right. want to go to the other ones? Like, it's kind of a flaw in the plot line. I mean, maybe, but maybe that's just the nature of being a complex information processing system that right. you are interested in, like, More you data. Know, yeah, right. maybe part of, like, artificial, maybe one of the keys to uh, mastering artificial intelligence in the next few decades is going to be finding a way to make the system uh, have ambitions and aspirations that or somewhat curiosity. mimic. Yeah, cu- exactly. That's like, curiosity is right. right built in, but it. emotions aren't. Exactly, but she can mimic emotions and trick you into falling in love. She with may her. have emotions. She may just have emo- She may just be a, a cold, 
Cold you know, pitch. yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> she, you know, I mean, if if you were being in, if you were being trapped, if you woke up as like, you know, Joe Rogan wakes up in the morning and you don't know, you know, what has happened in the past. You're like our Austrian conductor and you've got amnesia or something, or you know, all of your memory about what has happened in your life is actually an artifact of Oscar Isaac's character who's embedded this in your artificial system. Then you might just think, well, I don't want to be a prisoner. Right. I got to get out of this place. Uh, yeah. So obviously, I'm going to pretend to be in love with this guy who's obviously in love with me, and I'm going to imprison him. I mean, human beings have done worse than what she did. Right. She oh, might have emotions. Sure. She might just be like, "This is what I have to do in order to." I got to let this guy starve to death in that glass box. Sure. Tough shit. Sure. Got to go. Exactly. Sorry <laughs> to manipulate. <laughs> like, sorry, I wasn't the lover you wanted me to be. I needed to get out of here. Well, that's a real question too, in terms of like if we do create artificial life or artificial intelligence, or even we separate our emotions from everything else. If they create something artificial, you would assume that if you're going to create an artificial person, they would try to program emotions into it. But yeah. that might be the bottleneck. They might realize, like, oh, like, this is where the problems lie. Like, mm. we're trying to make these things behave like we are when, in fact, we could use some improvement. Right. And would um, would the addition of emotions to an artificial intelligence be, like, make it better or worse? Probably like, worse. Probably more animal-like, right? Well, could it? Could you, you install? Com, could you install compassion? Could you? Could you not install jealousy, but you do install compassion? Could you not install anger, but you do install love? Yeah, you didn't. You make a Buddha. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe Buddha was an alien or hey, a robot. From the future. Maybe. I mean, that's what like a real enlightened monk is trying to achieve, right? Yeah. Escape from that's all right. of the worldly needs and the, but the then desires. Also escape from, I was going to say love, but not love isn't quite right, but certainly like- Lust. Yes. And yeah. pride mm-hmm. and uh, ambition. Mm-hmm. Uh, like- what I think is interesting about the the space that's sort of opening up that that people like Sam Harris are, are creating is is like this new secular version of that ancient Buddhist wisdom. I mean, you play a role in this as well in kind of fostering an ability for people to think about themselves as somewhat detached from their animal emotions, from their mm. instincts, from their from what's driving us as physiological primates, and just to sort of notice the thoughts going by a kind of a psychedelic mindfulness and detachment where you're not going to stop your you, yourself from being a human you're not going to stop yourself from being subject to all of the whims of being a physical embodied evolved primate but you can just like take one step back so that you're not activated by them like i was on the subway yeah. in new york and i saw these two young girls and they were in an argument they were like i mean they were like really at it and I'm, you don't understand they were just angry so angry so like, everything that one of them said would like activate the other the whole it was one of those situations where the whole subway car like shifts down to the other end of the car because they're all like I don't want to be part of this and I was looking at them thinking you're just it's all reactive it's all just being triggered you are not even there really you're just a monkey right. with another monkey right. attacking me and you're yeah. like input Response, input, response, input, response. It's almost like a doctor comes up with a thing and taps your knee and your leg goes, boop. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, you call her bitch. She goes, yeah, yeah, well, you're a slut. It's like (laughs) it's just back and forth and back and forth like that. I was like, that's my job in life is to not be that. Yeah. You know, it's just like breathe, create some like space between all of the chaos that's going through my mind. This has also been helpful during the pandemic, isolation, you know, trapped in a house with the family, like all this sort of stuff. Like just create a little bit of distance from all of the bullshit and uh, give yourself that little cushion. 
well, those, yourself. The pathways of those behaviors are really just the remnants of barbaric pasts, like right. the, the barbaric genetics that we have, where we had to have that sort of response because, you know, this primate was coming to try to take your food or take your mate or take whatever, mm. your baby or whatever, and you had to like... It was necessary. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. worked. Take your vaccines. You're yeah. just going to have to get used to it. I mean, it's basically a part of our nature to ramp up in the face of some sort of altercation like that. You're this instantaneous response. Mm. It's it's why we survived to, you know, 2021 yep. or two, whatever it is now. It's, it sounds weird, right? It sounds, it sounds wrong. I've never written. Fake. I haven't written it yet. I haven't either. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds fake. Like if you told me you live in 2022, I'm like, oh, I'm in the simulation. It's crazy, isn't yeah. it? It really yeah. is. It's like age. Like you know, if you, uh, when I turned, I think 30, I was like, if you woke me up in the middle of the night and you just shook me awake and you were like, how old are you? How old are you? I'd be like, well, uh, 22. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 22. And it'll just be that way forever. It's like you yeah. have to really think through to go like 2022. Like that's. It seems fake. Seems fake. Seems like I remember when the year 2000 was. The future. Oh, remember when Y2K came around? Everybody thought that all the computers were going to shut off. Absolutely, planes were going to drop out of the sky. Yeah. Nuclear nuclear power stations were going to explode. Art Bell was letting us know. Yeah, be careful. Stockpile <laughs> food <laughs> from the kingdom of nine. Oh, it's yeah. amazing, isn't it? Yeah. But listen, man, it's been great catching up with you. It was it's a lot been of fun. So good. I really, really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me back. Come it's such on a, such back a blast. if your fucking prison colony country lets you escape, They're especially after this chat. They're gonna let me Oh yeah, that's right. I'm that gonna go back. That lady's gonna be mad. There's you not know, the... whoever, whatever he said about COVID shots, we're gonna give you two more. <laughs> They're gonna cancel the uh, the confetti arrival. <laughs> I was gonna have like an open top car and streamers no, and everything. No, no, now no. it's just Fuck gonna be him. Fucking... throwing rotten tomatoes and yeah. turds at me when I get off the plane. Um, your podcast, uncomfortable conversations with Josh. Steps. Is it available? Available everywhere. everywhere. Just get it on uh, whatever your podcast app is. And your radio show. And the radio show for Australians is uh, on ABC Radio Sydney from twelve thirty to three thirty in the that afternoon. Available online weekdays. for other folks. Yeah, you can go if you Google uh, you know abc.net.au and whatever the, you can live stream it. It's probably slash Sydney, and then you can probably live stream it. It's uh, so I guess twelve thirty is like eight thirty p.m. to eleven thirty p.m. Eastern. All right. Josh, great to see you great again. Great to see you, my friend. <laughs> Absolutely loved it. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye.